Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and AutoTempest.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 179. We're all huddled around our odd-shaped table here in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters. With me today is Dave Scribner, our head writer and executive producer. Hello. He's making his a rare appearance. Writer, producer, Brian Robinson. Hello, John Davis. Thank you, sir. Online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. That is me. And our video producer, editor Joe Ligo, has stepped out from behind his monitors and camera. Joe, welcome. Glad to be here. Okay. And a little bit later, we'll be introducing you to our new FYI reporter, Stephanie Hart. But first, um, most recent auto show, wrapping up the uh, 2018 auto show season, New York International Auto Show Everyone at the table either went or is, knows quite a bit about it. There were a lot of new vehicles there. Rather than run down a list, um, why don't you pick some from the list and talk about them? Brian Robinson, yeah. what impressed you from what you saw? That uh, from the pictures, uh, two that stood out to me was the Rav Four. Not that I'm a huge Rav Four fan, but it's uh, the biggest seller in its class. Yeah, yeah and it looks is. way different, way more rugged. I really like the look of that. And uh, the Volkswagen uh, Atlas pickup. The Tan Oak. Um, yeah, so you, they've, they already sell like a four-door pickup in Europe, yep. um, which I think does really well over there. So I was kind of hoping they'd, that would eventually make its way over here, and uh, looks like it will. Can't wait to drive it. You know, they were so negative about its production prospects that, really? that it was really surprising. They basically said – they all but said, we're not going to build it now. <laughs> and, you, and then I, I – Caught one of the executives, and I said, "What's going on? Why? You know, it's built off the same chassis that you're building the Atlas. You're already going to do the uh, the short Atlas, this what Atlas Sport, uh, Cross Sport." And I said, "What's the deal?" And he said, "This vehicle, as you see it here, is too expensive. Mm-hmm. The, so whatever they build, and I'm like you, convinced they're going to build something, it'll probably be a little bit less." Now I didn't share any body panels except maybe the doors with the Atlas. But it is built on the same chassis, and if Honda can make money on the Ridgeline, basing it on their SUVs, I don't see why they can't in their yeah. Chattanooga plant. I think everybody was very impressed with it. Uh, something else, anything else, the new Subaru Forester, which uh, coming into the market where it, you know, it's such a, a hot property, I thought that was a standout. The, the, car, the show had a lot of standouts. Kia Altima. What did you think of the Nissan, look of it? Yeah, yeah. Nissan Altima, yeah, sorry. You, you actually, um, I was following everything back here, and uh, you had actually tweeted one of the first pictures of yeah. the door handles on two different planes. Because it, if you look at it's it like from – like a wedge shape kind of? Well, yeah. if you look yeah. at it from a profile, it looks odd because the, the, the body line, the contour right. doesn't really – come out to you but if you look at it a three-quarter then you see where the door handles actually do follow the body line and i thought it was pretty unique and as i walked around the show i saw a couple of other sedans that also had it but they seemed to be a little less um extreme i guess but yeah if you look at the side of the ultima which i thought was a is a beautiful car uh, and another attempt by moving the mid uh the mid-market uh mid-size sedan up level um 
It was quite stunning looking, uh, absolutely. So I, you know, they are they like uh, Toyota and Honda are not abandoning the uh, midsize sedan market. And Lincoln Aviator. Now this one was weird to me because they kind of slid. <laughs> Joe in. jumped in on a Lincoln. Yeah. They kind of they kind of slid Finally. in that it's rear wheel drive because I was thinking it's rear just, wheel drive based. Right. I was thinking it's going to be based off the Explorer. That it is. same. Eight, it's but based the, on the new Explorer. So the new Explorer is going to be rear wheel drive rear as well. Drive so they're finally right. getting rid of that like ancient Volvo based platform that they've had since like 2000. Well, they still whenever. make other stuff on it. But yeah, they're basically saying there is a somewhat trend back towards away from a front wheel drive architecture to a rear drive architecture for uh, SUVs. Uh, Chevy supposedly is going to do the same thing. You've already got a bunch of them at Toyota, of course. Uh, right. But yeah, the new so Explorer, be... and this is uh, rear-wheel drive base, so rear and four-wheel drive. So that that was the strangest thing, because it seemed like Ford had pretty much given up on rear-wheel drive, except for trucks and the Mustang. But to hear them say, we're going to make a rear-wheel drive, I'm assuming yeah. it's a crossover. It's not body-on-frame or anything like that. Correct. So that yeah. stuck out to me as weird, and the plug-in hybrid thing is is will be interesting to see in practice how that plays out with that well, platform. My guess is that you know they're going to sell enough Explorers that it'll probably pay off to well, have. So that. far, nobody's actually seen their PHEVs flying off the lot that I'm aware of. Mm. Uh, Cadillac XT4, their compact uh, luxury SUV, it's sort of got buried it's like yeah, it was there uh it didn't it looks actually pretty interesting but even at the unveiling there was such a party going on around it almost nobody <laughs> saw it and it, it seems like it we're having too I good was of a time yeah. Cadillac's, uh, the you, ct6 yeah. uh, v-sport which has the, the i thought that was a, a, a much more interesting vehicle go ahead t- take um, it away dave twin turbo v8 it's in the 500 horsepower club um they package the turbos in the V of the engine up top and a lot of stuff on the bottom of it to make it easier to package it. And um, I want to see more about the engine. Also in the engine department, there was the uh, the Jag F-Type SVR. Mm-hmm. Their also first the SVR for their, an SUV. And uh, Maserati Levante showed an engine package with their hot rod version, also in the 500 horsepower club. So all, I can't afford them. I'd like to have either one of them, but I wish I could afford one. Going back to the Caddy V8, uh, they, of course, are claiming that nothing, no one else is going to get that engine, which is not the first time they've made such a claim. But I think everybody was thinking, is this going to be the V8 that's going to be in the new mid-engine Corvette? And they swear no. Hmm. But they needed that engine, they felt, and I think I agree, to be more on the level of the BMW Mercedes, which is what to they show are their aspiring to be. Acumen. And if they ever do come out with a Good flagship word. car. The uh, Genesis G70, the, uh, you know. Another fine-looking sedan. Um, that's their entry <laughs> level, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. three series. I thought the G80 roughly. was their entry level, or is this the low Well, that? this is now. I believe this is no, now the, the lower the, number. Yeah. Well, it's the key. Well, I assume the number was the, well, the clue, but the I cool, it's based on the Kia chassis. Yeah, you can I get said, a oh, okay. You can get a manual transmission in it if you want, which I thought was pretty cool. As long as you stick with a two liter uh, mm. turbo, you can't get it in the. I think they have a twin turbo V6. You can't get a manual with that one, but you get a eight speed auto. Uh, I misspoke before and said uh, hmm. uh, Kia and put it with Altima, but I really meant to put hmm. it with the K900. Um, you know, a nice looking car. I'm not sure. Again, that too many people are going to buy it. We like the last K900, and I thought this one looked a lot more up level. But um, what else did we see? Oh, the um, Genesis Essentia concept kind of stole the show oh, with wow. the Wow Factor. It sure is so stunning looking. And that was an EV. 
Was it a PHEV? Uh, it, sure. it was all electric. All electric. But you had the scissors doors, and oh, it, was it was stunning. But again, I mean, Not if that's practical, what they're probably, aspiring to. Yeah, I think, and if it was a different show, um, if it was actually at like Detroit of this year, that probably would have gotten more attention. But I think you alluded to it earlier, John. There were so many really major reveals. He got a RAV4, which is a huge seller. He right. got the Ultima, Ultima, big seller. <clears throat> Even the Corolla hatchback, which is me being a millennial, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, yeah, so there was just a lot it seemed of... like there was more news out of New York than Detroit this oh, year. Yeah, without question. Sure. Like, without what's, question. what's going on? I thought Detroit more... was supposed to be the biggest show of the year, but uh, it's... Not anymore. Um, I, I think a lot of, well, for whatever reasons that people have been pulling out of the Detroit show and not showing their best hardware. Last year, New York wasn't that impressive. This year, it was easily the best auto show uh, in the U.S. this year as far as new product. Uh, what else didn't we, haven't we covered? The Acuras, Acuras showed the production version of the RDX with the first A-Spec package. Uh, back to VW, they showed their um, shortened Atlas, which is called the Crossport. That's um, a five-passenger on the same chassis. Five-passenger. And apparently, um, same wheelbase, as I believe. But just shorter, about right. seven inches Wait, or so. Didn't yeah. it have, like, kind of a sharp cutoff on the mm-hmm. rear roof line mm-hmm. or something? A little bit. Uh, Hyundai Santa Fe uh, is new. Yeah. And, so was uh, the CX-3. Oh. had a basic a, oh, yeah. a little bit of a nose job done to it. That's about mm-hmm. it. But. And the Corolla hatchback replacing the Toyota IM, the leftover Scion. Mm-hmm. So what's, how long has it been? Since Corolla had a hatchback, was it a three door? It goes way, way no, back. No, it was the Matrix, right? Wasn't that considered a yeah. the Pontiac vibe Toyota Corolla Matrix that twins? Was, that one, but I don't, they built those up until Numi closed, yeah. which was like two thousand nine. But you're the auto historian. Didn't oh, Corolla have a fastback three door? I lost my job. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna look at Ben. Way back, back. way back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the longest like running. 80s. It's one of the longest running, if not the longest running nameplate out there. Yeah. So. yeah. I think we've done a retro review on that one, so check YouTube. Okay, moving on to something uh, even more exciting, if that's possible, and I think it is. Dave Scrivener has had the rare privilege mm. of driving the 2018 Ford GT, and David, I think that's about all I'm going to say about it. Why don't you take it from there? <laughs> well, the toughest part was finding a place to drive it, John. We picked it up in Compton and had it for 11 hours. So where do you go in L.A. with a Ford GT? <laughs> where so, do you get out of traffic well, We headed for the hills. Maybe you shouldn't tell us. <laughs> An unnamed road in the uh, the mountains near Los Angeles. Um, really, it's a, it's, a, it's a race car for the street. and uh, It kind of shows that when you drive it on the street, it's a little lumpy, bumpy, crude. Um, disappointment in the, the engine note. Uh, it's a V6 with great horsepower, 647. You kind of miss that V8 rumble, though. Uh, the only thing that soured it for me was that driving dynamics that was fabulous it just a little bit of lag and then just gone so unlike the 2005 gt which was clearly a production car this is more like the gt40 from the 60s this well, is they a race car develop the two cars you know a race car and a street car they kind of made one car until molly get it for lamont which they won two years mm-hmm. ago and um it the, the street car suffered a bit for it in creature comforts those who want to have it are certainly thrilled to have the performance on the street. I wouldn't drive it day to day. I don't certainly worth four hundred and fifty thousand to oh, park in your garage. Enough, nothing is to me. But I, I just drove <laughs> wow. a, an 05 GT a few days ago, and I uh, yeah. love that car still. Me too. That's <laughs> sweet. Yeah, I really think 
that was the car I wish I could. Prices have are ticking up on those things in a hurry. They are. Yeah. What do they go for now? I don't know. You would think the new GT would maybe make prices, you know, would make the last one less collectible, but it seems well, the it's opposite. More affordable. Like, they like yeah. to have that, but and it's a, it's probably more comfortable. Tails. It's definitely a more comfortable car. I definitely. Guess. Um, zero to sixty three seconds. Did it feel like it? You had a lot six hundred, oh, yeah. almost six hundred fifty horsepower. Most definitely. <laughs> Would you? So you've driven, you drove the 05 and you drove this. How would you I've compare the original that? too? How would you compare it to all three? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, we did. Up, that was was that the car we had up at um, we did in one Pocono? In we did one in Pittsburgh, the yeah. orange car. Um, anyway, um, I, I'd like the 05 still. Okay, <laughs> I think that's something. I up. think the GT40 is my, my ultimate dream car. But, but, but on, a, on a track, the the new one would spank well, with, the old with five. Dust oh, the old just wouldn't, even, wouldn't even be a this is a, this, this is a true supercar. Track worthy just the way it's Got to be careful about that. Apparently, why? Because I've gotten crap from people. Why about supercar? I've called a supercar a hypercar. I think the I thought hyper was supposed to be over a million apiece. The the road test is going to air next week, and it'll be on YouTube soon after that. But I. I liked the flying buttress styling on the rear. When I first saw the photos, I wasn't. It wasn't. It looked doing like it a, Fer- a La Ferrari swallowed a GT40 and spit it out the front a little bit. And just the, the back is so weird looking. I still so unford like. It the is. The front uh, still looks like a GT40, like the 05. The aesthetics did. is not the high point of that mm. car. It's just all performance uh, it's, and it's, the wow factor of yeah. driving. It. Forget who I had the conversation with, but it's to me, it's a completely different buyer. I mean, you go sure. the, uh, somebody who bought an 05, I don't see them wanting to go out and get the. They the had new some blue collar buyers. It was one thirty nine new, which is yeah. outrageous. Mm. You know. And now they're three, right? Now they're selling for around yeah. three. Yeah. Let's go back to the terminology again. So, what else in the market <laughs> do you consider a hypercar, or does the our audience consider a hypercar? I mean, that's it's a relatively new La Ferrari, La Ferrari, Ferrari. 918 Spider. Yeah. I think it has P1. to be like a hybrid to be a hypercar, or like Ooh, plus, really? like, well, like the La Ferrari and the P1 and the the. Well, I don't think you have. I don't think you could say that. I think you'd have to put a horsepower. Centenario is a yeah, hypercar. Well, seven hundred okay. horsepower. Yeah, I, well, we, we actually had this debate in many podcasts ago. And yeah, go back and watch that I mean, one. Honestly, a supercar now you could you could call anything that does just below four seconds to sixty. I think a supercar. Yeah, and there's yeah. a lot of cars so that do that. And then what is talking about a ZL1 yeah. will do that. Yeah, and then so, so sub three yeah. is a hypercar and sub or sub four. Well, I'm just yeah. I'm just putting out possibilities. I'm not yeah. saying there's saying a I'm not sure. I don't driving. think there's a cut and just, dry definition. I think I'm arguing that I shouldn't be chastised for interchanging. <laughs> I agree. I agree. There's overlap. I agree. Leave me alone, people. As long as there's the internet, there will be chastisement. And, and, you know, that sounds like a good point in this uh, discussion to actually go into our rants and raves before Dave leaves us. And, Dave, you actually had something you wanted to talk about. I have a rave. He has a rave. I'm usually the ranter. Um, The new car callers that are out there, I would love to see that RS5 at New York had a a lovely, not quite a forest green, Mm -hmm. but an interesting green shade. I'm just so tired of seeing black and silver cars all the time. And you said something else before we... Our new Crosstrek as a long-term has a a lavender gray Mm -hmm. shade to it. Uh, Even the um, uh, CX-3 we had in, which looks white when you first look at it, but it's not. It's got like a little bit of a gray tint to it. It actually looks really nice. Yeah. 
So interesting car colors on the comeback. Great story for yeah. Stephanie. Well, it's, New Mustang it's, has some it's cool a colors. good thing. Uh, you know, a lot of the car colors have gotten so boring. It they really make and boring sales. Boring sales, and you know, then you slip into a wind tunnel, and they all come out looking the same, and it sort of. Well, they predict the car colors. Five, what's going to be hot five years from now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a very. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into do perhaps, that. Right? Yeah. I. There you I go talked to a woman once who worked in color in a, at like car design like that was her job was color that was it and she said they would have these big meetings every year there was like a national association of color designers not necessarily for automobiles just for color and they would meet and talk about what colors are in and what well, colors Pantone. are out yeah Pantone. The, the, the big company yeah that controls and they'd all talk the about what was in and what was out and oh well we think she said green was always one of those colors that every five years you'd get a couple green cars and then they go away again they yeah, said she yeah. said green was always cyclical and personally i like green sure. i think pine green and those kind of dark greens can as look really cool it's not around the gills <laughs> David, thank you very much. Of course. And we're now going to bring to the microphone and the seat that he has nicely warmed. Our new oh, FYI reporter, like Stephanie like Hart, who has just joined the MotorWeek staff. And we're delighted to have Stephanie with us. And she's already been out there working on two stories. Welcome, first of all. Hi. Thanks for having me. You. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Tell us about your first two FYI stories that you've got coming up soon. Um, well, the first one was a really tough assignment you guys gave me. I got to go to Los Angeles, California, and I checked out the Peterson Museum, and it was just so eye-catching from the outside. It was red and white zebra-striped on the outside. It just went through a major $90 million renovation. Uh, and we haven't been there since it opened over 20 years ago. That's so. right. It started with about 100 cars, yeah. and now it's grown to uh, three floors filled with cars, more than 100 cars, really luxurious inside. They had three major uh, displays. That, is that Am I correct in the number yes. that you basically covered? Mm-hmm. Um, we started with the Porsche effect, mm-hmm. which was just really amazing. A lot of very rare Porsches. Mm-hmm. We which saw, have a very close tie with Hollywood. Exactly. We saw a 1939 Type 64, mm-hmm. really sleek lines. Um, we toured that vehicle. We also saw a couple of 911s, um, spoke to a couple of Porsche enthusiasts who just were going crazy mm. for the exhibit. We also saw the competitive side of Porsche there. Um, we saw a 550 Spider. Mm-hmm. Very famous car. Then we went up to the second floor and we saw um, cars from the movies. Which sort of dovetails into the Porsche display pretty well. Yeah, so we really saw the Hollywood effect kick in up there. Um, we saw the DeLorean from Back to the Future. <laughs> With all the, all the stuff still blinking. All the wires The flux out. capacitor. It was blinking. The kids, you know, went crazy for it. Um, so that was really exciting. Uh, we also saw the Batmobile mm-hmm. in all its glory. Uh, we also saw the convertible from Thelma and Louise. That was neat because you actually got to sit in it, and you said that it's a little beat up on the inside, like the trim and the leather and stuff, a lot of wear and tear on it. Yeah, I'm, Hollywood just uses the car for that one great shot, and then they sort of uh, beat up the interior because it's not going to be seen in the picture. So. Yeah, I, I mean, often <laughs> they get these things out of junkyards and completely rebuild them. So, mm-hmm. Of course, I'm, I doubt that car was, but... Uh, 
you while you were out there though you did uh another story that i guess best could be described as an easy way to i mean california is famous for its customization but this is kind of like customization inside and in the end a, a relatively easy way to redo at least how you feel about the car you want to tell us more about that one yeah, so we after uh, the Peterson Museum, uh, the next day we went to the uh, Catskin Automotive uh, Factory where they do custom leather interiors. So we got to see how um, the interiors come out, and that was a really, really cool process. Now, this is, this is a custom leather interior that just about anybody can mail order and have applied to their car. You don't have to take it to them, do you? No, so prices start at fifteen hundred, which, which is crazy yeah. cheap for custom leather interior. Super affordable. Yeah, really. yeah. Uh, they go up to about twenty two hundred. So most of it is a leather panel, and the sides are vinyl mm-hmm. to keep the cost down. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they can do everything: embroidery, perforation, put different colors different together, different colors, two tone. Yeah. So you know, there were hundreds of workers inside this factory in Montebello, just sort of hand sewing everything you know you haven't seen that in i don't know when no because usually if you go to say um any of the european uh customizers uh like amg and so forth they're they're basically doing custom leather interiors for you know whatever they're working on and you're talking giant bucks so this kind of fits between that and your run-of-the-mill off-the-shelf leather shell that you can get for a car so were you impressed with what you saw oh yeah it was amazing yeah it was it was really awesome so you got it done to your car right Uh, i wish (laughs) but we did see it get it get done to a subaru here in maryland Mm -hmm. which was really amazing uh really impressive um we also went to um a garage in Laurel, Maryland, and saw how they actually install the seat covers. So, so like um, a before and after kind of thing where you can watch mm-hmm. them, the process of getting it. Yeah. Do, do they have a list of, uh, I guess, a list of installers that they use so they send the packages to someone in your area? or Yeah. How does that work? Um, they have several warehouses and installers oh, okay. across the country. So the Montebello factory we visited specializes in customs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we followed a package here to Maryland. They opened the package and they uh, installed cool. the seat covers. So, you know, they had to take out all the wires, unclip everything, mm-hmm. basically strip the seat down to nothing, to the metal. Um, and then they put the seat covers on from there. Sounds like they a, use a steam. fun segment, a little bit, a little bit different than than what we usually see when you see the uh, the corner uh, auto upholstery shop these days. Well, you got both of them coming up. Welcome to the show. Thank and why don't you. you stick around for the end of the podcast? Here we're going to uh, go now to a viewer question, and this is from Bob from Roseburg, Roseburg Oregon. Mm. Um, Thank you for pointing out the importance of keeping your windshield clean in cars with sensors and cameras. You're welcome. Can you recommend a good way to clean the inside of a windshield? This always frustrates me. Anyone have any uh, particular chemical that they use for to get that? There is a film that often builds up on the inside yeah, of a windshield. It comes from, like, interior materials releasing gases. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if he's looking for a product or a technique or what, but uh, I don't What think- do you do? Uh, I just have, like, a glass cleaner, automotive-style glass cleaner. Like a Meguiar's yeah, or something use, like that? Yeah, uh, you know, double up on the uh, 
cloths and uh, just uh, get it the best you can. It is tricky with, you know, getting all the corners and stuff like that, but uh, I don't really have any They do have a tool technique. that can help you, like, yeah. do the corner, but I don't know if it's worth the, the extra trouble. My D- thing does is... Does newspaper I, really work? I don't use newspaper. I've crumbled I've, out newspaper. I've heard that. I've used it before on the outside. I never tried on the inside just because yeah. it gets wet and starts falling apart. My big technique is make sure you pull into the shade. Because oh, if the stuff dries too fast, it, then it streaks. It streaks. And then That's the other, good, th- good, the other thing I do pointer. is I make sure to wrap my hand in whatever, like if I'm using a cloth or whatever. Because what invariably happens to me is you're like upside down, and then this greasy part of the side of your hand smears the windshield, and then you just get a big greasy streak and have not, to start not over everybody again. has a greasy side of their hand. Well, Joe, that's okay. So my point is, is okay. don't let your skin you touch. Using? Don't let your skin touch the glass. What that's are you using? Point. Are you using a microfiber I've, cloth, a, a terry cloth? I've what? gone back and forth. I guess microfiber tends to be what I default to as long as like a clean one that has been used on another part of the car. But the other thing is for cleaner, I've used Armorall specialty automotive glass cleaner, and then I've used like Windex. I found that Windex does work better than like knockoff Windex that, you yeah. know, you get at Walmart or whatever. But the Armorall stuff, I didn't see a big, big difference versus I, I like regular requires. But you know what I also like, and I don't know how hard they are to get anymore, but you used to be able to get from uh, cleaning operations used baby diapers and they're very soft and they had a good cleaning i still have some at home washed of course of course yeah they've all they've come back they basically are are torn or whatever they can't be used again and they sell them in big bundles uh, as cleaning cloths if you can still find those they make a good clean yeah they there's whatever they've been washed so many times that they're so soft they do a pretty good job Okay, very good, everybody. Well, I want to thank everybody for uh, partic- participating in our Motor Week Podcast 179. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Dave Scrivener, who's left, Brian Robinson, Greg Carlos, and Joe Ligo. Our uh, th- thanks today also to Jim uh, Bigwood, who is making us on the audio sound- side sound better than we should, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Uh, Till next time, I'm John Davis. Be sure to check our website at motorweek.org for listings. We have a new listing feature to give you a much better situation of knowing exactly which public television station to watch us on. And you can also see us every week on the Velocity Cable System. Till next time, I'm John Davis, Davis, and I can't even say my name this afternoon. Thanks for watching, listening, and being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and AutoTempest.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.